I mean, if you want, we can still talk about the fact that even the Red Sox can beat Miami. Yeah, because they had a double-A pitcher. I mean, they played a team that has an aquarium in their backstop. Is that yeah, really? that's awesome. I don't know what you're talking about. I'd be willing to bet you the fish are probably dead back there. That's depressing. Why would you even say that? Well, because there was nobody in the stadium to feed them. I'm sure they have workers in the stadium to feed them. Oh. Oh, my God. All right. Well, let's start the show. Hi there, everybody. Welcome to the Out of Bounds podcast. I'm John Luck, and we have Mary Evers here as we talk about the uh, Celtics and the Patriots once again yeah. as game one of the uh, Celtics Heat Eastern Conference final series didn't really go the way I wanted it to. No? Why not? As, uh, well, Miami won 117-114, and of course, there was the block heard around the world by Bam Adebayo, mm-hmm. uh, Jason Tatum trying to... Uh, Send the game to a second overtime as he goes to the basket to throw it down. Bam Adebayo meets him out of nowhere. Sends the ball back to actually Miami, I think. But uh, Bam would hit a free throw to make it a three-point game. Mm-hmm. Tatum missed another game-tying opportunity at the buzzer. So uh, the Celtics down for the first time this postseason in the series won nothing. I don't think that that game, the buzzer shot was Tatum's fault, considering he had like five members of the Miami Heat covering him at once while Marcus Smart, who had been hot the entire game, was completely alone at a three-point yeah. line. Yeah, I mean, that. when I saw Marcus Smart hold the ball in one hand, getting ready to throw it like Ryan Fitzpatrick, I knew it was game over at that point. Yeah. Uh, but really, I think this is indicative of the game as a whole because the story through the entire game was the play of Jason Tatum and Marcus Smart. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me see if I can pull up the box score here. Jason Tatum had 30 points on 10-24 shooting. Marcus Smart went off for 26 points on 6 of 13 from the three-point line. Mm-hmm. So, clearly, Marcus Smart isn't the problem. Jason nope. Tatum, you could say he tried to play a little too much hero ball. But to me, the problem is, where in the world was Kemba Walker? Where in the world was Jalen Brown? Where in the world were my Boston Celtics that I'm accustomed to seeing? The last five minutes of the fourth quarter and overtime, it was all about iso ball. And Tatum, when he tried to win the game at the end of the fourth quarter i tweeted this out he had marcus smart on the baseline uncontested smart was calling for the ball on the baseline though maybe a second a second and a half yeah enough time to get the ball to smart smart can throw it off the glass and the celtics could win yeah unfortunately there was way too much hero ball and i think to a certain level this is kind of another um reason as to why the celtics can't close out games we talked about Mm -hmm. this in the last podcast, Brad Stevens' biggest Achilles heel is the fact, or Achilles tendon is the fact that he can't close out games, and you need to close out games from this point forward in the postseason. Yeah, um, I, I, I do think that a lot of the issue is Brad Stevens unable to actually finish games, and even at the between the third and the fourth quarter, he was interviewed and like, "Oh, what is this something you have to work on?" Oh, we need to work on finishing games. Apparently they didn't have enough time to do that because they still can't finish games. I also think that for some reason, Kemba Waka is mentally checked out. Like he's so not used to going to the, this far into the playoffs or winning anything in the playoffs that he's like, Oh, am I still playing basketball? What is this? Well, here's the thing about Kemba Walker. And it's as simple as this. I don't think that knee is completely healed. 
because if it was, then he'd be able to close out some of the uh, big games here. I have his game log from the postseason so far. And let's just go to the Toronto series when they were up 3-2. They had a chance to close it out, that double overtime loss. Mm -hmm. Kemba Walker, the guy that the Celtics almost paid max money to to come to Boston to be Kemba Walker, clutch Kemba, cardiac Kemba, yeah. two for 11, five points in game six. A double overtime game that he played 52 minutes in, he scores five points. He has yeah. seven assists. Game seven, the Celtics held on for the victory, but Kemba Walker, 14 points, 44 minutes, and he was 5 of 16 from the field. Mm -hmm. Now, game one of the conference finals, it was okay for a point guard, 19 points, 6 of 19 from the field, but 1 for 9 from the three-point line, clearly that's not Kemba Walker's game. Kemba's game is moving the ball around, yeah. uh, trying to shake off defenders. When you're being checked down by Jay Crowder, that's not good. Well, I mean, in his defense, Jay Crowder is like, three times the size of Kemba Walker. It's not hard to defend Kemba Walker when you're Jay Crowder. I don't care how good Kemba is. But still, just the play of Kemba Walker in the entire, well, the entirety of the past three or four games, that's not good to see from your starting point guard because he's supposed to be the third part of this big three on the Boston Celtics. It's yeah. supposed to be Walker, Tatum, and Brown. Right now, it's Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown when he gets a good look, mm -hmm. and Kemba Walker, if the knee's feeling okay, but in the fourth quarter in overtime, Jalen Brown had seven points. Yeah. I think he was two or three from the field. The fact that you can't give number seven the ball when he's a good a good four or five player on the floor, that kind of speaks volumes to me. And if I'm Jalen Brown, I'm thinking to myself, what am I doing here? I signed a max right. contract to be the future of the team, and I'm getting outshined here by a guy that plays hero ball, shoots the ball 24 times, and takes – shots away from me yeah I I we've been praising the fact that the Celtics have played as a team all season and they just you saw cracks in that foundation last night for sure and I don't know if it was because of the circumstances around last night's game that Jason Tatum was just feeling himself so much now that his family was in the bubble that he wanted to show off even though his kid was watching an iPad 95% of that game like he clearly wasn't paying attention anyways Let's be honest, you were probably watching an iPad too instead of the game. I, you know, I tried to watch it. I really did. I, I had it on the entire game. I was just doing other things while I was watching it too. I, I feel like I, I should be given credit for watching the entire thing, including overtime. Mm, I'll think about it. But one thing that can make you feel better, John, if it's possible, is the fact that uh, <laughs> Doc Rivers, who left the Celtics because he didn't want to be bothered with a rebuild... Um, hasn't made it past the second round of the playoffs with the Clippers, including last night when they blew a 3-1 series lead to the Nuggets. And now the Nuggets are going uh, to play the Lakers in the Western Conference Finals. So I'll say this. The Nuggets actually seem like a pretty good team. You have yeah. Jokic in there that can launch the ball from three-point land. Jamal Murray has been playing out of his freaking mind yeah, in the playoffs so, so far. Uh, but, I mean, Doc Rivers didn't want to go through a rebuild. Guess how long the rebuild essentially lasted? I guess you could say two years yeah and just to bring it back to brad stevens for a second because this is a point i made on the show uh in the past brad stevens i think is ahead of schedule you go back to year one when he had chris humphreys they didn't make the playoffs the very yeah. next year they made the playoffs as the eighth seed but they got their teeth kicked in against lebron james and the cleveland cavaliers mm -hmm. lebron kind of gave stevens a little bit of legitimacy by talking about him positively right and every single year the celtics continue to make it further and further into the playoffs 
going to game seven of the conference finals against the Cleveland Cavaliers. Yeah. Right now, though, this postseason, this is Brad Stevens' gut check time. This is the time he has to really get on the ball, get on his players, hold them accountable. Uh, the rallying cry, G. Willikers, gosh darn it, guys, Brad Stevens can't be shown anymore. Yeah. This no. is the coach that has to come in like her Brooks, kick a table over, have <laughs> a, a good speech going, and get this team to win because as we mentioned this is the Celtics best chance at banner 18 this postseason yeah I think I think this is one of one of the reasons why I mean I don't have a problem with Brad Stevens necessarily I just think that sometimes he's not asserting himself as a coach as well as he should be like you see people like obviously Bill Belichick around here but or Mike Krzyzewski like people like that or Nick Saban like who really command a team and you know that this is a guy that's in charge and this guy you should be listening to and I feel like there aren't a lot of NBA coaches in general that do that um I would have normally considered Doc Rivers to be one of those guys but I don't really think so anymore after last night's bizarre showing and so I I think that one thing that Brad Stevens could improve on is just being able to control his team because it doesn't seem like he has any input in it at all so the Celtics are down one nothing in this series. It sounds like they're down three nothing, three one. There's yeah. still a bunch of time to go in the series. Game two comes up uh, Thursday night, tip off at seven o'clock. Game three, eight thirty mm-hmm. on Saturday night, and game four uh, Monday at five o'clock. So there's still a lot of time here. The Celtics did do some good things, I think. Yeah. Um, you know, the second quarter was difficult, but the first quarter the Celtics jumped out to an early ten nothing lead. And I think that was important because the Celtics need to get some offensive momentum going, get some uh, movement away from the ball going. And I saw that in the first quarter and I saw a bit of that in the fourth quarter as well. So for the Celtics, yeah. it's just as simple as a 48 minute effort, yeah. closing out games and trying to get the full team involved. I appreciate Marcus Smart taking the shots that nobody else wants to, but unfortunately other people have to take those shots. Yeah. And I think that one of the areas that the heat also beat them in is managing their starter their starters throughout the game because I mean they they said a couple times in the broadcast that Jimmy Butler never comes out to start the fourth quarter and even though that they were down by a lot going into the fourth quarter after having an abysmal third quarter they still did not put Jimmy Butler in right away but the Heat still were able to come up and and move past the Celtics and then obviously Jimmy Butler was a huge part of them being able to win ultimately so I think that's another area that the Heat kind of have up on the Celtics that I would like to see improved. But I don't think it's going to be improved unless we see Gordon Hayward come in at some point and give them an extra man of depth on that bench. Yeah, Gordon Hayward, when he comes back, he's starting on the bench. That's obvious. But right. just to go down to some of the other key contributors for Miami here quickly, uh, Gordon Dragic led the team with 29 points, Jake Crowder 22 points, Jimmy Butler 20 points. So getting back to that fourth quarter when Jimmy Butler wasn't in the game, it was Goran Dragic that really was doing the damage to the Celtics and coming into the series I heard on Boston Sports Radio that if you let Dragic get warm early, he's going to be something to contend with uh, down the stretch. Right. And, I mean, obviously, if you have three players going over 20 points, it's always preferable to win a game. Um, And I think – I mean, I think – Smart and Tatum were the only ones that went over 20 points last night, if I remember correctly. And obviously, like, seeing Marcus Smart perform as well as he was was super positive. It's just, it it seems like with the Celtics, for some reason, if one guy's having a good night, the rest of them are 
not doing so hot. So if they can like average themselves out, so they're all having a pretty good, decent game, they will be able to beat the Heat eventually. All right. So again, game two comes up Thursday night, game three, Saturday night, again, inside the NBA bubble. Mm-hmm. Uh, meanwhile, the New England Patriots who are one and zero, will be playing the Seattle Seahawks this Sunday night. We think there's some question about the yeah. game right now because the air quality in Seattle is kind of questionable. They ran into this problem uh, Sunday in San Francisco with the 49ers Cardinals game up in the air. Now, as far as we know, this game still set to take place Monday or Sunday night in Seattle, but um, the league I think has until Friday night, Saturday morning to decide whether this is going to happen. The game's going to be moved, postponed. So that's such, that's such a tough deadline to be able to, you have to know Saturday morning if the air quality is going to be bad or not on Sunday night. Well, think about it if it's the Patriots. It's one thing if the Seahawks are playing the 49ers or the Rams. That's just right. going up and down the coast. That's one yeah. thing. If you're the yeah. Patriots, you have to go A, across country, B, across country in a pandemic because yeah. there's some guidelines here. If you're going cross country, you have to leave at a certain time. You can't right. leave too early. You can't leave late. So yeah. really the Patriots are in a tough spot here because yeah. of circumstances beyond their control. It just sucks because I obviously the wind could change at any moment and things could be different. I mean, they canceled an MLB game last night because of the air quality. So obviously things are not doing so great over there, but we, we've known that for a couple of weeks. But I mean, hopefully they play the game, but obviously they should err on the side of caution because you don't want these guys breathing that in when you're playing a game like football, especially if you're running constantly. And especially in a pandemic, because don't forget, if, it, if the smoke gets into your lungs, that's bad. And oh, yeah, I didn't even think of that. We say that the pandemic going on right now is all about respiratory illnesses. Right. So uh, just, I guess, from a gameplay standpoint here, maybe from a timing standpoint, how does the schedule change affect the Patriots? Because I think a lot could happen, and maybe negatively for the Patriots, if they have to postpone this to a Monday night or a Tuesday night or later in the season. Right, yeah, I don't, I don't know how they would do that as of right now. Um, obviously, if it's a Monday night, that would suck. Obviously, because your week is shortened more than you thought it would be. But it's not too bad. It's just one day. Tuesday, I wouldn't do. I think that's that's cutting it a little bit too close to get ready for the next weekend. And it's, I mean, it's possible that they could lose a bye week. I guess if if they decide to, I don't know where Seattle's bye week is, so that might not be the case. But I don't know where else they would be able to make up another game they might just have to kind of wash your hands of it yeah and that's something to think about here because if you go beyond um if you go too far down the road here then you really start talking about messing other teams up which could be a problem now luckily week six is the bye week for both the patriots and the seahawks so that is a potential if um the wildfires get too tough, but hopefully Patriots and the Seahawks benefit from the wind coming from a right way. Yeah. As yeah. opposed to the wrong way. I mean, I really, yeah, it would suck if those teams had to lose a bye week. Um, I, I would suck if any team had to lose a bye week. So yeah, I would, I really hope that they can play Sunday. All right. Let's talk about uh, the gameplay here as Cam Newton, as we mentioned uh, earlier this week, had I think a very pedestrian performance, but still yeah. 230 all purpose yards, a couple of touchdowns. Uh, the importance of getting Cam Newton to throw the ball more against the Seattle Seahawks because we didn't see him throw the ball a lot right. against Miami, and that might have just been because there was no preseason, there were no OTAs, so maybe yeah. you're trying to play a little close to the vest here this early in the season. 
Well, I think that because there's no preseason, obviously, they're going to want to work up Cam Newton's arm strength. I I mean, obviously, he was injured in both of his, his shoulder and his foot. So running and throwing could be potentially dangerous for him because he could aggravate either of those injuries. But I think as a quarterback, I would err on the side of maybe running more than throwing while you're building the strength in your arm up. And we know from people who have said, who'd watch training camp that his arm wasn't as strong as it's been in the past and he's still working on it. So I, I would assume that he'll throw for more than he did last week, but I'm still not, I don't think he'll throw for as much as you would probably need him to, um, against the Seahawks. So here's the thing about Cam Newton. When he was drafted out of college, he wasn't really thought of as a prolific passer. Right. I decided to go back and look at some of Cam Newton's games. I went as far back as 2017 here. So uh, from the start of the 2018 season to his last two games for Carolina last season, when Cam Newton threw 30 or fewer pass attempts, the Panthers were four and three. When Cam Newton had 31 pass attempts or more, Carolina Panthers were two and seven. Oh, wow. Uh, the Super Bowl year, uh, I think Carolina's best year as a franchise. Uh, they were six and one when Kim Newton threw more than 30 pass attempts. Uh, that one loss came in the Super Bowl. He had 41 pass attempts. So, yeah. really, if you're Josh McDaniels and this um, Patriots offense, I think the goal has to be to get Cam Newton to throw the ball right. between 23 and 27 times as far as planning passing plays go. Sure. Uh, because if you start showing your cards too much as far as receiver routes against a defense like Seattle, mm-hmm. that could be problematic uh, Sunday night. Oh, yeah, definitely. But I think that – I mean, we talked about it when it came to the Miami game. I think that a lot of people still don't know what to expect out of the Patriots' offense, and I think – Ba- figuring out a balance between running and and QB keeps and uh, running back plays like I don't I don't know if if the Seahawks are going to be ready for what the Patriots have to offer because there's no there, I mean w- with the exception of that Miami game there's no film on it so it's not like you can spend hours trying to figure out their offense because it's going to be a lot more different than it was with Tom Brady so I think that that will be an advantage to the Patriots now going forward. That's not always going to be the case. I think any teams that come after Seattle playing them are going to have the advantage of a, a defense like Seattle playing this new Patriot offense, and that's going to be very helpful for them. But I think for right now that just the just the surprise factor of it all is going to work well for the Patriots. And the schedule isn't very friendly for the Pats at all. We'll talk yeah. about that later on. But you mentioned um, some of the different – maybe trick plays that the Patriots could have. I think one thing to look out for against Seattle is maybe the possibility of getting some jet sweeps in there, getting some misdirection plays in there. Uh, see how Julian Edelman and James White uh, figure in or factor into that, because yeah. I think they've been around long enough that they can maybe partake in some trick plays that maybe take some of the pressure off of Cam Newton, right. which is important against a, again, a good defense like Seattle, a defense that has been to the top stages yeah. of the game and have succeeded yeah i mean and obviously the like you said seattle's been dominant for a while yeah they haven't made a super bowl in about six years now i guess i think 2014 was the last time they made the super bowl but they've had a a really good team going off of that and even losing some key players they've continued to have good teams so seattle's always going to be a challenge for the patriots especially with them having to travel out to the west coast and then 
back, and then they have to go back to the West Coast eventually as well. So uh, it's going to be an interesting game. I think that personally, this even without the quote-unquote 12th man, Seattle's going to have an easier time of it. But the Patriots might surprise us. I, they certainly did last weekend, so all bets are off. I think one player that needs to really improve is uh, Nikhil Harry. Now, he had his wow. best career game as New England Patriot uh, this past Sunday, five receptions for 39 yards. But Akil Harry, whether he likes it or not, he's going to be a big part of the Patriots' success here in 2020. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's kind of depressing that that fumble and in, into the end zone it, it has to be noted with Nikhil Harry's best game as a Patriot. Um, but I think that one thing we see with Cam Newton is can uh is his willingness to work with the younger guys a lot more than Tom Brady ever had. Uh and I think that's going to be super helpful not only for the team as a whole but Nikhil Harry building confidence in himself and so he can continue to participate and and uh perform well for the Patriots. I thought originally when the Patriots drafted Nikhil Harry, I thought they were going to try and maybe convert him into a tight end. Uh, just because yeah. I think he has the size of a tight end, he just mm-hmm. needed to build some more muscle. Yeah. Uh, but now I think you need to try and take some of the pressure off of a Julian Edelman. Uh, don't forget you have James White that can come out of the backfield, Rex mm-hmm. Burkhead that can come out of the backfield, and J.J. Taylor, who we found out last week, is pretty good yeah. with the football in his hands. So maybe now that we're starting to figure out the players that can help with the offense, maybe that takes a little bit of pressure off Nikhil Harry. Maybe he came into yeah. this uh, season opener with, high expectations of himself and when he fumbled the ball it seemed like he was really taken out of the game yeah and even I think, mentally I think that is even if Nikhil Harry does well depending on Julian Edelman a lot is still going to be tough because I mean he's he's clearly not playing up to the way he usually is he's got injuries that even if he's trying to play through them so I think that they really need to start thinking about getting another another wide receiver and it sucks because last year they wasted a, a pick for Muhammad Sanu and that ended up being a bust but at this point it's going to be have to be like a try 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 until they finally figure out something that's working and I mean it was broadcasted last night that there's a, quite a few wide receivers some one at least one big name wide receiver on the trade market now I don't know what the Patriots would be able to give up for some of these players but I mean it, it's worth looking at for sure uh so i want to talk about stefan gilmore because it was revealed on nbc sports boston uh pregame coverage from burt Breer, i think it was that the team was starting to field phone calls about the uh cornerback potential availability on the trade market he was rumored to quote unquote hold out of practice um before the season opener before he got his five million dollar pay raise right but is there concern at the fact that gilmore almost wasn't a Patriot last Sunday. No, I, I think that, I, I mean, obviously I don't know Bill Belichick, but I, I don't think Bill Belichick's the type of person to turn any phone call away. I guarantee you over the last 20 years, he's fielded phone calls about Tom Brady because it's, why not? If you if it's something that, that can be successful, you got to at least listen to the other person. And so I, I, I'm not surprised that he took phone calls about trading Stefan Gilmore it's a little concerning that he sat out of practice for a, a pay break, but I, after, after Jalen Ramsey got that contract, and this is just the NFL we're living in where players can sit out in order to get the money. I mean, Alvin Kamara did it. 
last year, Melvin Gordon did it. Le'Veon Bell did it the year before that. So it, we're just going to see that more and more as players get leverage. And I think that's something that the NFL needed because up until the last couple of years, the players did not have much leverage when it came to the league at all. So if this is the way that they're going to have to go about doing it, kudos to them. Yeah, it's understandable if you go more. When he originally signed with New England, I think he was one of the top paid um, players as far as the defensive side of the ball go. But then Khalil Mack kind of threw a wrench into that. Jalen right. Ramsey's deal was pretty big. So the Patriots, let's go back a little bit, maybe a little further here with all the opt-outs. Uh, you have players like Patrick Chung uh, opting out of the season, Marcus Cannon checking out of the season. So that freed up some cap space for the New England Patriots. Right. And at that point, it maybe became a little more clearer that the Patriots could give some money to players who deserve it. And listen, Stephon Gilmore, it, I think he was a defensive player of the year last year. He was. So, I mean, obviously you had to give him some sort of congratulatory yeah. pay, pay upgrade. And I think $5 million does that. It kind of covers you for another year. Mm -hmm. And what happens after that, who knows? But I think Bill Belichick was just worried about this year and trying to make sure Gilmore was on the uh, books before you had to worry about any sort of holdout situation. Right, especially because, like you said, the opt-outs, most of them were some of our bigger-named defensive players. So losing Stephon Gilmore on top of that probably would have been the last nail in the coffin for that amazing Patriots defense that we saw last year. So I'm not surprised about um, by it at all. Getting back to Cam Newton here for a second. I saw on Twitter, uh, there was a freeze frame after Cam Newton running play when he went through the middle, mm-hmm. it looked like he was grabbing the back of his leg, uh, whether it was his quad or whatever it was. It looked like there was some discomfort there. And this is the first game of the season. Right. I have concern that Cam Newton, is not going to make it through the 16 game sure. schedule? I think I've made it evident on this podcast. Yeah. Um, so I'm concerned. How concerned are you? I mean, obviously I'm concerned about his injuries flaring up. I think everyone is. It, it'd be crazy not to because he hasn't really played at all in the last two years because of those injuries. However, I think it, freaking out over every little screenshot you see on Twitter is just going to give you more anxiety about the team that you need to be. And and it, until we really see Cam like not running well or not playing well in general, I'm not going to worry about the injuries coming back because I mean, he was running all over the place. So his legs must not have hurt too bad even. And I mean, for all, you know, he had an itch on his calf and he, he, he leaned back to scratch it. And everyone's like, Oh no, he's injured already. Listen, screenshots on Twitter is what the make is what makes the world go round. Twitter, Twitter is legit a cesspool. I love it, but it, it, all it does is breed anxiety. So I'm not, I'm just going to ignore it for now until, until, you there's clear evidence in the way he plays that there's something wrong. I'm just going to keep on keeping on. <laughs> uh, getting back to the game here, how can the Patriots slow down Russell Wilson? Because there's going to have to be some sort of offensive changes made here, yeah. whether that's sacrificing a member of the secondary to get another player up front in the box, yeah, uh, taking someone out of the box, putting him back in the secondary, playing with an extra. Uh, defensive back, maybe there are some changes that I think need to be made against Russell Wilson who threw what, four touchdowns against yeah. the Atlanta Falcons last week. Oh, definitely, because, I mean, it, you're not going to get three interceptions that, from R- Russell Wilson that you got from Ryan Fitzpatrick last week. It's just not going to happen. Um, right now, I mean, obviously, Russell Wilson is one of those dual-threat quarterbacks that you always have to worry about. And, I mean, uh, in the majority of the elite quarterbacks in this league right now are those quarterbacks. 
So the Patriots are going to have to worry about dealing with that going forward anyway. So if this is their first shot at it, maybe it won't go so well. But, I mean, at least it's like they've got to start looking at it. And, I mean, they've, lo- they've lost to Pat Mahomes, in, who is similar when it comes to running and passing than Russell Wilson is. They've lost some and they won some. But I think if they keep on going in the same direction they have defending against Kansas City – can't, uh, defending against Russell Wilson won't be as terrible. But after having four passing touchdowns, I think that making sure the secondary is is firm and in place for next week is where they have to start looking. I think one of the big game plans for the Patriots is more importantly on offense, and it goes back to what happened against Miami when they had the uh, football on offense for nearly 10 minutes more than the Dolphins. That's yeah. how I think you're going to beat sure. the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, a lot of running on the ground, a lot of short passes. The Patriots, bread and butter offense for the past, you know, what, five, ten years maybe. Right. That's how you're beating this Patriots team. Meanwhile, on defense, I think you have to really rely on the McCordys to uh, play well. You have to really rely on Stephon Gilmore, who got that pay raise to play well. And I think J.C. Jackson is someone that could play a uh, integral part in this game, uh, spotting one of the McCordys if he needs to or yeah. – uh, playing a little more freer, but I think he's going to be uh, someone to look at. We saw him make a couple of uh, plays that helped decide the game for the Patriots this past Sunday. Yeah, and and I think that as much as Seattle is going to be a scary team and a lot scarier than Miami, I think that that foundation of the McCordy <laughs> brothers, Gilmore and Jackson, are going to go a long way into making sure that the, the Patriots can at least stay in this game. And they're not for nothing. Their their run defense wasn't terrible last week either. Um, so I think that the Patriots are are going to be able to handle Seattle more than people are giving them credit for. All right. So this is the start of a very important three weeks. I think uh, looking at the upcoming schedule, obviously the Sunday night game in Seattle. We think, Mm-hmm. Uh, but then the Patriots come back home to play the Las Vegas Raiders. Still weird to say that. Yeah. And then the following week, they go on the road to play at Kansas City, who again will have a yeah. small number of fans. But still, this is a very important three-week stretch for this football team, and it could go a long way to uh, deciding what this team looks like when we get into December. Yeah, and I think that, I mean, a lot of people would probably brush off the, the Las Vegas game, but I think that this team is it's looking a lot better than I think anyone expected it to. And despite the not having any fans, but finally having a home base and not being the Wanderer team anymore has probably gone a long ways with the mentality of the guys on this team and making sure that everyone's, you know, got a home base to make sure that they're all in one spot. So, I mean, it, I, I don't think we should be sleeping on the, on the Raiders at this point, but I mean, obviously, we'll see how they play this week, too. And they've only played one game, so it's hard to really make a huge um, statement about what they're going to play like for the rest of the season. Yeah, big game coming up this uh, Monday night. We'll get to that in just a little bit. But Josh Jacobs for the uh, Raiders went out of his mind bowling over the Carolina defense. He's going to be something to uh, watch in the tight end for the Raiders. It's going to... uh, pretty good talent as well Mm -hmm. yeah and to to be fair I don't think that the Panthers defense was anything to write home about going into that game and it never is right and Josh Jacobs had a great season last year so I'm not surprised that he's 
doing as well, if not better, this season that he did last season. So I think, go like I said, you need to more than one game to see exactly how everything is going to go for the rest of the season. All right, so that's our talk on the Patriots. We'll talk about the NFL coming up in just a little bit. But I want to kind of go off script here, talk about the Boston Red Sox. I keep joking that <laughs> they're an embarrassment of a franchise. They're god awful. But last night during game one of the Eastern Conference Finals, they actually had maybe, I think, their brightest spot of the season, Tanner Houck, yeah. uh, getting called up to make his MLB debut. And he went, I think it was five innings, had seven strikeouts in his uh, MLB yep. professional debut. And I think one story uh, that is interesting to look at, we posted on the, our Twitter page as well, OOB New England on Twitter. Uh, he was going to donate $100 for every strikeout he had yep. to – uh, an adoption corporation. I think it's in his name or he helps out with his name, but yeah, uh, <clears throat> I thought that was one of the bright spots for the Red Sox. And I think going forward in the future, maybe not next year, but maybe the year after that, Tanner yeah. could be a pitcher that uh, bears some watching for the Boston Red Sox, maybe oh, in trade sure, value yeah. even. I think at this point that the Red Sox are just going to have every single pitcher they have in their entire farm system play because they've got nothing else to lose. And it seems like at least once a week they're posting something on their Twitter. It's, oh, so-and-so pitcher is making their major league debut this week. And if it's, you know, once a week, it's it's incredible. So going into that game last night, I wasn't thinking much of it. I was like, oh, here's another Pawtucket guy, our Worcester guy, I guess you have to call them now. Um, I, oh, get, I, guess, I guess he'll be okay. I guess he won't be okay. I don't really care at this point because – it just seems like this is a lost season and we should be tanking for that number one pick all of a sudden. But I don't know, he did pretty good and good for him because if you're doing well in the abyss of what this Red Sox season is right now when it comes to pitching, he's only going to make himself more valuable. And even if he's not a starter on the Red Sox next year, he's definitely going to be one of those guys that they're going to be the, fir- the first person they look to to call up when they need someone. Yeah, and like I said earlier, this could help him out in the future finding an MLB team because don't forget the Red Sox need to fill out their farm system because yeah. it is abysmal. I think it's the worst farm system in all baseball. So oh, Tanner Houck goes out there, strings together two or three starts before the end of the season, which is, what, already 10 days away. Yeah. Then maybe you can get something in return that is worth thinking about because right now, if you're high in bloom, you – have no other choice but to build for the future you're not building for next year i don't think you're building for 2022 and further yeah uh no i agree and uh, at this point now that they've passed the trade deadline the cap will reset for next year they won't have to worry about the taxes yet maybe i i I hope that heim bloom doesn't take that as i'm gonna go sign the biggest picture on the market right now because i got money to spare this time and it actually does build a system for the future, but who knows? Who knows? I don't. If you I told barely... me in 2018 that this would be the state of the Boston Red Sox in 2020, only two years after that amazing team that they had, I would have laughed for about two hours. I, I think to a level I could have seen it coming because we talked about the window closing, the yeah. Red Sox need to reset their financial standards. Right. But I didn't think it would be this bad. No. I didn't think we'd be challenging the Diamondbacks and the Pirates for the worst record in baseball. Oh, God, yeah. <clears throat> All right, so um, did you watch uh, Zolak and Bertrand today on 98.5, the sports hub, 10 to 2? That yeah. way we give them their full cover. No, I actually uh, went to work today, so I wasn't able to watch them. 
Well, I've been working from home as well, but I have well, them. Yeah, but on I'm the I'm computer. I'm in so. the studio today working, so I was not watching them. No. Now I was at home. We were keeping distant, but I was listening and uh, I heard that in the movie The Town, Ben oh, Affleck yeah. said that he was uh, unhappy with the Bruins because the team wouldn't give the movie the ability to use the Boston uh, Bruins yes. logo. So they had to stitch yeah. together a logo at three or four o'clock in the morning. Yeah. And we're coming up on 10 years since the movie was made. And he's still Has it been 10 years this. since that movie's been made? Just about. Oh, I'm so old. Oh, God. For Okay, so let's talk about this a little more. Why do you feel old when because, I say that? Because I was an extra in the town when I was in the eighth grade. <clears throat> so... I haven't seen the movie, yeah. obviously, because I haven't. haven't seen a movie. Seen any movies? Right. So you actually were in a couple scenes, right? I was. Uh, I filmed two, but only one made the movie. And I think your brother actually came close to getting more theater time than you, right? My, my so two of my brothers were also in the movie. One of them was in the same scene as me, and the other one was in a, a completely different scene. Um, and his face is the entire screen for about 0.5 seconds, which is incredible. And when, it, of course, at the time he was like five. So my parents obviously weren't going to let him watch this movie. So they watched it alone, called him into the room to show him that he was on the screen and then promptly kicked him out of the room. to. For, but now he's, you know, 19 next month. Oh, so I guess he was nine when he filmed the movie. Still too young to see it. That movie is super inappropriate for children. And this was the one that almost got recruited for ted right the kid at the start yep. of mm -hmm. the movie right yeah he 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 was after we after the town came out we all got put into like the, the system for boston casting um because they were doing a lot of movies at, at that point like even that summer alone there were three different movies filming in charlestown uh where i grew up so the year afterwards they were <clears> doing ted and they reached out and they were like, "Oh, you know what? You should, you should, uh, you, you you should bring your son in to do to read for this role." And it was a pretty decent role. He's supposed to be like Mark Wahlberg's bully when he was growing up in like a flashback scene. And he freaked out because they wanted him to swear and he didn't want to do it. So he ended up backing out of the audition. Now I hope he's listening to this podcast because he's going to be mad that I told this story probably. Well, I mean, I'm confused. Isn't swearing like the second language of Charlestown? I mean, for, yeah, for, for adults, but he was 10 years old at the time. He that's wasn't they, swearing. That's when they start learning oh, at 10 years old. I, I, this is the image you have of my childhood, apparently. I mean, not that I blame you because I swear constantly, but Patrick's not that way. But just to talk about uh, the town for a second here, getting yep. it back to sports. Mm -hmm. uh, the fact that the Bruins were kind of uh, dead set against their logo not being used, I guess this is kind of a NHL thing. Sure, there's yeah. violence and a lot of swearing involved right. that the NHL doesn't want their image oh, involved with you. The movie, the movie is, is I think it's a decent movie. <clears throat> they were nominated for a couple of Oscars. Um, so obviously they were, it was pretty well taken in. I just, th there's kidnapping and there's a sex scene or two sex scenes. There's one woman that overdoses and gets into a car accident in front of where I went to elementary school. Um, they obviously they rob banks, they rob Fenway Park. They, it, it, there's a lot of violence, and and it casts the neighborhood of Charlestown and the North End in that general area in kind of a dim light because of that. Um, and I don't know if you know this, but the Boston Garden is smack dab in the middle of Charlestown and the North End and the what the used to be the old West End. So 
if I'm the Bruins and this is how they're portraying the neighborhood that I'm trying to get people to come to, to play, to see my games, yeah, I'm not going to, I'm not going to associate myself with that. Okay. So I can see that the way that they were portraying it today was, well, the Bruins are just being sticklers in the mud because they don't want their logo being uh, put into a movie that's all about violence and all that. Well, but... I mean, I, I mean, I, that could be it too. Obviously I didn't talk to the Jacobs family myself and asked them why they didn't want their logo in it, but right. Of all the things you could have talked to Jacobs family about that might've been on the bottom of the list. I mean, like it's, it's obvious like they're the Bruins have been in other Boston movies. Like they were in Patriot day. Um, and I think there was one other movie about the, the marathon bombing that the, the Bruins were in. But obviously that's supposed to be like, you know, not, I mean, there's obviously violence in the movie, but it's supposed to be at the city overcoming violence, not the city being a cesspool for bank robbers and kidnappers, which is what the town is basically about. All right. So, I mean, if you rent the town on Redbox or... Redbox? What year is it? There's a bunch of Redboxes around here. (sighs) Well, Bridgewater's kind of stuck in the past. No one ever has Redboxes anymore. Okay, fine. Go find it on your streaming service. Yeah. For, search for it on Xfinity. How's that? Better? Sure. That works. Okay. I'm sure. I think it's there. Look for me. It, I'm, I'm the gangly child in the back, uh, background of Rebecca Hall running during a kickball scene, if you're looking for me. Uh, okay. I'm I'm sure we'll get a bunch of tweets of that. Yeah. The, uh, still image. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about the NFL picks now, as this okay. is week two of us picking uh, these games here. Yeah, do you want to talk about the results from last week first? No, last week was a training Okay, week, you're just okay? mad that I, that, I it was like you pre-season. so badly. NFL, NFL didn't have preseason. Baseball didn't have spring training, really. Sure, sure. That's what this was. This week didn't count. We don't need to go over records I don't know if anything. you know this, but we definitely did shows before last week during this pandemic. So don't tell me you didn't have practice and you weren't looking for this stuff beforehand. I, I mean... Listen, just because I went three and four and you went six and one, yep. that doesn't mean anything. I'm keeping track because I'm probably not going to be able to beat you in fantasy football this year because my team is already in the toilet because my number one pick, Michael Thomas, is out for the next couple of weeks probably. I didn't can at least your, beat you in this. Didn't your team get their teeth kicked in this week? Yeah. It, yeah, be, I, they did by my younger, by Patrick, the brother that we were just talking about. And meanwhile, I set the... Uh, Number two mark as far as scoring goes in the entire league. Hey, but, I, uh, I won in my other league though, so it's it, last weekend wasn't completely lost. Listen, it's all about what we do here for BTV and right. Out of Bounds and sure. the podcast. That's sure. what it's all about. Yeah. All right, so let's start the NFL picks here as I start to uh, turn my <laughs> season around. We're going to go Buffalo and Miami. This game taking place in Miami, and I think uh, Josh Allen had himself a nice week last week. I think it continues. Here in week two, the Bills typically start off hot. It's how they finish that tends to be the problem. So I had the Bills winning this week. Oh, me too. I I think the Bills are going to have a really, really good season this year. And I I still think that they'll probably beat New England out for the the AFC East finally. Um, So, yeah, this is it's I mean, not they're not going to have the type of blowout that they did against the Jets, but they're definitely going to beat Miami this week. Uh, going on to Washington and Arizona, the Washington football team overcoming a 17 to seven first half deficit, mm-hmm. uh, winning one for the coach, Ron Rivera, who yep. mentioned, uh, was getting an IV at halftime. Yep. They came back and won. Arizona came back and won against the 49ers and I'm taking the 49 or nope. geez, 49ers. I'm taking the Arizona Cardinals. Yeah. 
uh, to get the victory here in week two. I think this is tough because I think Arizona and, and Washington are both teams that no one, uh, they haven't had good seasons in a while and they both won kind of improbable games last week. Um, but I, I kind of like the story of, of Washington being the underdog and winning it for Ron Rivera. So I'm going to go with Washington. All right, Baltimore and Houston, the seasonal, they're the home opener for the Houston Texans, taking on a Baltimore team mm-hmm. that had a basic scrimmage against Cleveland last <laughs> yeah. week. Um, I, I have, I, I think Houston's a good team. I really do. But I have issues betting against the Ravens in general because I think their team is just such a force to be reckoned with. So I'm going to go with the Ravens. I'm going to take the Ravens as well. Houston showed that once you get past, uh, the Johnsons in the backfield and Will Fuller. Mm-hmm. That's really difficult getting any offense going. And yeah. against an offensive juggernaut like the Baltimore Ravens, if this turns into a shootout, I like Lamar Jackson's chances. Yeah. And I'm definitely not saying this because I have Lamar Jackson, the Ravens defense, and Marquise Brown on my fantasy team. Great. So they're going to probably get like two points each. All right. That was a team now. that won last week. Calm down. Carolina and Tampa Bay. Champa Bay's home opener for uh, Tom Brady and Bruce Arians, who maybe they need like a kumbaya moment or something. Oof, yeah. Something's going on down there. Yeah, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Tampa Bay because if Tom Brady actually loses to Carolina at his quote unquote home, now um, that's just gonna be kind of that's it. I know it's only week two, and that's dumb to say, but Tom Brady needs to beat Carolina. Carolina's defense is like we said earlier is nothing to write home about. So if he's making these like dumb interceptions like he did last week, there's some serious issues in Tampa Bay. But I don't I would not bet against Tom Brady coming off of a loss, being salted by his coach on public television and and playing at home. So I'm gonna go with Tampa Bay. I'm gonna go with Tampa Bay, but for a completely different reason because oh. when you say that Carolina's defense isn't anything to write home about, <laughs> I feel the same way about Carolina's offense. Fair they have Teddy Bridgewater. Uh, throwing to players like Robbie Anderson, but don't yeah. forget or Christian McCaffrey as well. But Tampa Bay's defense was two penalties away from making this a one possession game mm-hmm. going into the fourth quarter against yeah. the Saints last week. Yeah. And again, the offense is something that's going to be worked on week in, week out. Chris Godwin uh, is being assessed for a concussion, I believe. Of course uh, Mike Evans still coming back from his quad injury. So his it's going to be a. Uh, it's going to be a low-scoring game, I think. The tight ends are going to play a factor. O.J. Howard, I think, more than anything else. But oh, he's somehow, yeah. some way, I think Tim Bay gets the win here in Week 2. Yeah, no, I agree with you. All right, the uh, next game here, the Monday night matchup, a game that I'm actually really looking forward to, mm-hmm. and it's rare for a Monday night football game to be looking forward to. But uh, New Orleans and Las Vegas and the Raiders' yeah. home opener of their uh, new Darth Vader-like stadium. Yeah, um, I'm really excited to see what the stadium looks like. We obviously got a peek into what the the Chargers and Rams stadium looks like, and that thing is a palace. Um, and it's it's so depressing that their first game they can't have fans. But back to the game that we're actually talking about. I think Vegas is, like I said, they're a, they look a whole lot better than I was expecting them to. And obviously New Orleans won last week, but they didn't look as great as they possibly could and as good as I thought they would. And I think Drew Brees isn't looking as good as he thought um, anyone thought he was. And with if Michael Thomas isn't going to play, that's tough. So I think I'm going to take Vegas winning in their home opener. I'm going to take the Saints winning because you say Michael Thomas isn't going to be playing for the Saints, but don't forget they still have 
Alvin Kamara, Latarius uh, Murray. They still have Emmanuel Sanders. They still have Jared Cook. So Drew Brees doesn't have to go out and throw for 250, 300 yards. If he throws yeah. for 200 yards, that's still a good game. And the defense of the Saints is respectable. Mm-hmm. And Las Vegas is a team that I think is maybe a year or so away from making a big dent yeah. as far as the uh, AFC playoff picture. But I'm taking the Saints to win on uh, Monday night. Fair enough. I, I might be watching it. I might not be watching it, depending on how Game Three of the Celtics game goes. So, oh yeah, I'll be watching football. Bring it full circle, and uh, finally, here the game that we've been talking about: New England and Seattle, scheduled to take place Sunday night, eight twenty on uh, NBC. Yeah, um, this is tough because I really want to say New England, but I think I'm going to go with Seattle because Russell Wilson just kind of looked unstoppable last week, and as good as the Patriots' defense is, I don't think that they're going to be able to muster enough energy uh, and enough to keep him in check and I think it'll be a good game and I think it'll be a close game but I think that Russell Wilson will be your victor at the end of the at the end of the day so again this is tough but I'm gonna take the New England Patriots oh shit something tells me that they're gonna get something going here Mm -hmm. and I mean one underlying factor and this is a personal factor, not a gameplay factor. Don't forget um, the story that came out yesterday that Bill Belichick's mother uh, oh, passed yeah. away yeah. yesterday. So, I mean, again, family first, we always say. But, you know, if Bill Belichick doesn't go out west, then maybe the team comes together and win one for the coach wow. just like I Washington did, did. I did not even I, – I mean, I saw that his mother had passed away last night, but I did not even put that together in my head. Yeah, he's not going to be able to – I don't know what the state of – things like funerals are right now if if, if you can even have them because of the pandemic or it, it well again even just the fact they need time to kind of right convalesce and get yeah but this is, this back is, and check this here. is bill belichick we're talking about though well family first no no funerals, i completely i completely agree with you but i when just it comes think to that family bill belichick uh actually does like to take the yeah, curtain off right, and you're right you're right all right so there's a possibility that we'll see the preview of either Oh, I guess it's I, I guess it's going to be Josh McDaniels' team because I was going to say either Josh McDaniels or Steve Belichick, but obviously that would be his grandmother, so he wouldn't be there either. So that's they're going to be something. losing a couple of coaches. Possibly. So again, that's just something to kind of think about. We don't yeah. know what's going to happen there. We just know Belichick uh, canceled mm-hmm. his uh, Wednesday afternoon press gathering uh, yeah. because of the passing that we talked about. So. Uh, you have Seattle. I have New England. Yeah. I still think some way, somehow, the Patriots pull it out here, because why not? I know you gotta. You gotta mean, hopefully, hopefully for you, just for the sake of the fact that you're three, you're three games back from me at this point already. Listen, I may be three games back, but I'm a game <laughs> up on you in fantasy football, and that's really all that matters. And I told you, if you, I, if I'm gonna suck at fantasy football, I'm gonna have to actually put more effort into this. I don't know what that says. More about your fantasy football team or more about this? You know, it's just as the commissioner of our league, I have other things to worry about than my own individual team. That's all. Okay, so apparently for uh, the wannabe commissioner Goodell, Mary Evers. Well, that's what you uh, all call me that anyways. <laughs> so I feel like if, I, if, if you're, if you're going to call me that, I may as well act the part, right? So you're going to sit relaxed in the chair one day? Yeah, and I'm also going to give you a four-game suspension for zero reason. So watch for that. Cool. I can take a vacation. All right. So uh, I might see you next week on the podcast. Who knows? I might get suspended for being a good fantasy football owner. But we'll uh, talk to you later. (laughs)